With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show. We're still moving along. We still got two weeks here before the regular season comes to a close. We're still going to do exactly what we do here on the Wednesday strategy show, talking ownership, top stacks, and all of that great stuff to get you ready for Sunday's 10-game main slate. 10 games. You got to love it. A little bit of an abbreviated slate. We can concentrate a little bit closer and make it all happen right here. I'm Dave Lockren. With me, as always, Kyle Dvorak at Kyle Tweets here on Twitter. Matt Gajeski at Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter. You can follow me, of course, at Lafayette underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Matt, what's going on, brother? How are we feeling about this one? I'm not sure yet. Haven't had a chance to dig in too quick, man. It's been busy with college basketball, college football, so, you know, games everywhere this time of year. It's been crazy, man. I like it, Kyle. And I think, well, the whole point of this show is to talk about what the chalk is going to be, some perspective pivots, maybe ways to get different as far as stacks go, or even individual plays. I think there's some good stuff to dive into over the next hour for sure. Yeah, we're going to be hearing like all the time, like Matt, like, oh, didn't know that guy was out because <laughs> I think Matt has been like been just hustling on these college sports. So big ups to you, Matt, for working on that. And uh, we'll try and keep you up to speed on NFL. Yeah, we'll do our best. And remember, basketball is here now, too. I mean, it's going to get wild. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to prep for a 13 game slate after this show. And I hate multi-sporting, but I love basketball. So I guess there's a silver lining there. If you missed the strategy show, it was Greg Ehrenberg and Alex Baker for basketball that show just ended and uh of course the slate starter that's your commuter show if you missed that it's a new show replacing the early bird uh and then i believe we have a saturday slate strategy show coming up today and kyle i think you're on it i am and like matt i will be uh doing prep almost live awesome and let me tell you something there's really uh nowhere else that you need to be right now for dfs content like, the list just keeps going on. NBA Deeper Dive at 5, NBA Live Before Lock at 6. We got it all, and hopefully you'll join us uh, for all of that throughout the day. But it's time to talk football. Matt, I'll kick it off with you. Last week, another strange one, and yet another week, if you've watched some NFL shows, the recap show, yesterday's first look, you know this, the Millie Maker winner with a double running back wide receiver stack, again, with no quarterback a two-team sorry running back wide receiver stack with no quarterback David Montgomery and Mooney uh and then uh DeAndre Swift and Marvin Jones and second place in the Millie had a running back wide receiver stack without a quarterback once again yeah Lafayette I think you might be onto something I was not as excited about this last week when we talked about it but it's starting to pop up more and more so we should be taking notice of this the one main takeaway I have with it is I still think it's price sensitive. So you mentioned Montgomery, Mooney, Marvin Jones, and Swift. That's not your Tyree kill like Clyde Edwards Slayer or whatever running back wide receiver expensive wise that you want to use. These are generally cheaper stacks. And that's the main takeaway I have. I think it is dependent on scoring a lot of points and being price sensitive. And Kyle, you know what? It might just be fluky. I don't know. But like, like I said, it's happened, I think, four times in the last six weeks or, or three in the last five. And when that happens, we're obligated to talk about it. But Matt's right. 
Price sensitive, definitely looking at specific offenses if they're concentrated enough. But tell me that's not insane that another lineup that wins a million dollars in such a massive field doesn't do it once, but does it twice with a running running back wide receiver. Uh, and then I think third place had two wide receivers or a wide receiver and tight end from the same team and no quarterback, which I just do not condone that at all. Yeah, the two pass catchers without the quarterback is a little weird, although the context of last slate and the Taysom Hill slate actually make it make some sense where you truly didn't have to play a quarterback stack. Like, I would say this was why I think it's one of two slates on the season where you didn't have to stack your quarterback because of how much rushing equity we could give them versus their price. Although on most slates, the two receivers, any pass catchers without the quarterback is a little off. I'm really not surprised, though, at the maybe the rate is a little high in recent weeks. It's three of the past five and two of the past million maker winners, I believe it's back-to-back weeks, have done it twice in the same lineup. You said this week it was the the Swift Jones and then the, the Chicago one. Maybe doing two double in back-to-back weeks is a little much more than expectation. But really all this is a bet on is, like Matt said, that we have good price-adjusted plays on the same team on a good offense. And I mean – Chicago, say what you want. They have played like a good offense as of late. And of course, Detroit was in the game of the week. Like it was an incredible scoring game and the prices were still relatively low for a number one receiver and a running back who had the potential to be a workhorse back. So I'm not surprised. I actually have a decent amount of these in my lineups. Last week, you called out what I think in process was a good one. Cam Akers got hurt, so it didn't matter. But it was the Cam Akers, Robert Woods. I had a lot of uh, Leonard Fournette plus any of the Bucks receivers because I thought that was a good game. If you had Brown, I think that one hit, although Mike Evans also topped 100 yards. It's really just finding the right offenses with the right prices. And that's the most important thing. I think what Matt said, like, I'm not doing this with Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, because I think it's very difficult for both of them to pay off. And then probably also not have Rodgers pay off. You would just want to play Rodgers in that lineup if you can somehow afford it. But I do think it's just about finding the right spots to capture a lot of points. Last week, that happened to be two teams that were cheap and you could capture a lot of points on them. I think you're muted. Sorry, you're right, Kyle. And would it be crazy if this week a a Le'Veon Bell, Tyreek Hill lineup ended ended up winning something? It honestly wouldn't. Because if they just run up the score, but Le'Veon Bell has two rushing touchdowns inside the 10 and then Tyreek Hill scores twice, you could put yourself in a great spot and not need to pay almost 9K for Mahomes. Now, I'm not saying that's going to work, but there are ways that it works. Like you said, last week, the Rams, it didn't work. It sucked. I mean, I was I was in pain uh, following that game. But it's still a situation where it's, it's very capable of happening, and we've seen it happen a lot. So uh, just the final recap on the week, highest ownership in the Millie Maker, Kamara at 41%, Derrick Henry at 34 Brandon Ayuk, it was 29%. He came through. Uh, Kamara, of course, disappointed. T.Y. Hilton came in at 26%, and Leonard Fournette rounded out the top five. Jonathan Taylor, Emmanuel Sanders, Cam Akers, Russell Gage, and Travis Kelsey were six through ten. So that's what you have. But, yeah, Millie Maker winner. Uh, lineups look very similar, eerily similar to what we've been seeing. Matt, you ready to dive into this Week 16 slate? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. Let's start at running backs. We're going to go chalk. We'll look at some pivots, and then we'll do that at each position. Of course, at the end, we'll close it out with our top stacks. And as you guys know, we're happy to have everybody with us. Let me tell you, everyone that sticks around for Wednesday morning football shows, even after basketball starts, you're committed. We're all committed. And uh, you're the people we want watching this show. I can tell you that much. I'm assuming most of you guys have already subscribed, but if you haven't, and you like what we do here, you think along the way we've helped you, uh, or you just like watching the shows, providing entertainment and a little bit of information along the way, hit subscribe, help us get the 50K. It's greatly appreciated, but it also helps you. We'll show up in your browse feature, your recommended feed. You'll always know when we're live. So hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and we will get underway. All right, Matt, running backs right now at the top of the position, you're getting David Montgomery. What if I told you that David Montgomery in week 16 would now be $7,700, the third highest priced player on the slate, and still the highest projected ownership of anyone at his position. The price, I would tell you, is a little surprising. As far as the ownership, I mean, he's playing Jacksonville this week, so that doesn't necessarily surprise me too much. This is just the matchup of all matchup for running backs. And David Montgomery, at this point in the season, without Terry Cohen, is handling a monstrous workload. So I do think it sets up for him here. I think, you know, it's DFS has come a long way with people willing to click on the names like David Montgomery 
But as far as matchup goes, I think everything makes sense for him as, as far as the ownership, the price, everything kind of suits David Montgomery in this spot against Jacksonville. Yeah, and Kyle, when I say that, what I mean is it's absurd the evolution of David Montgomery's production that we've seen over the past month. Not as much that he shouldn't be that high on or that he shouldn't be that high priced, but you never would have thought that this could even be possible in week three or four or even week 10 of this same season. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I think four weeks ago, I think it's this run started three weeks ago. So four weeks ago, had you told me these things, it just would have been absurd to think because he was seeing good volume, but not like league leading volume. And he was doing nothing with it. His volume has only increased since then. And then on top of that, his efficiency is what has flipped. Like he's not going out and averaging 3.2 yards per carry, which felt like his like, like 19 for 50 felt like a classic David Montgomery line circa week 10. Now it's like, oh man, he's, 32 for 140 and just lock button those in. So 32. Oh my God. Yeah, man. Like the, the volume, the efficiency, it's all coming together. And of course, if he were playing, you know, some incredible defense as an underdog, I would say if he's this price, this ownership, you could fade him. I think he's fine this week. And it's not like we're seeing 35% David Montgomery. 23 is palatable. I don't think it's a bad play. And the problem is like, it almost feels like this is a week where do you have to play one Chicago player in all of your lineups? I know their team total isn't crazy, but price adjusting, like it's definitely a strategy I think you can consider. Like, I think I've done that with teams like the Chiefs when they were in the middle of the season, weren't crazy prices. And the Vikings, the Vikings are always another team that concentrate so hard on three players that when they have a good team total, I think it's viable to just say, I'm going to lock button one of these guys in. Yeah. And I mean, wait till you get, wait till we get to um, Mitch Trubisky's ownership projection this week it's up there it's up there and had it not been for getting tackled right at the goal line and having montgomery run a couple in real close mitchell trubisky could have had a very big game last week and and that's what makes that's what makes spots like this uh not volatile but at times unpredictable matt because it could have been a mitchell trubisky game but it was a montgomery game again james robinson though is also coming in on the other side of this game at 22% projected ownership. And listen, again, if you imagine that at the beginning of the season, you'd be crazy. This entire season's been nuts when you think about who has risen to the top. You've got Jalen Hurts winning people tournaments, getting me into my dynasty league finals. You've got James Robinson and, and, and David Montgomery at the top of the ownership projections. But I guess when you're James Robinson and you're getting 20 plus looks every single game, so long as the script doesn't get too far away from you, at 6,800, he's going to be in play, Matt. Yeah, he's, I guess, in play regardless now just because of the workload is so ridiculous for him. In the last two games, we've seen it drop a little bit, just 16 and 19 touches for him in back-to-back games. They got smoked. Yeah, they got smoked, and this is what's going to happen with Robinson. Sometimes they're just going to get smoked. I don't know if Chicago is this kind of matchup, but when the scoring equity is so low with a guy like James Robinson and the price is still fairly expensive, I'm willing to make pivots away from him. And this is something I've done all year to my own detriment. What do you think of James Robinson, Kyle? Is this somebody that at 6,800 sub seven K you're willing to plug into lineups and would you play him in Montgomery lineups, given how chalky both of these guys are going to be in the same game? Yeah, I probably wouldn't play. I think there are like a handful of spots where double running back is fine. But for the most part, I'm typically looking at like it was um, Neam Hines versus Derrick Henry. Was it good? Like Neam Hines is sort of a running back, but is he really a running back? Even Alvin Kamara in games where he gets 10 carries can still post 35 DK points. I know both of these backs have some receiving equity, but really the upside is what we saw last week from Montgomery, 32 carries. And when my upside from one player negatively affects the upside from another player, in which this case would be James Robinson, I'm probably not doing it. I don't hate James Robinson. I know right now he's dealing with an injury. I think it's like an ankle injury or something. It doesn't seem like he's going to practice all week, but has a chance to play. If that keeps his ownership a little lower, potentially, I would be interested in him as a leverage point off of the, off the Chicago players because we're going to get a ton of Chicago chalk across you know all positions, essentially. So if, if somehow Jacksonville pulls off, you know, a, a Jets like stunning upset or at least keeps it close and they can, you know, control the ball, they can run 25, 30 times. That'd be a scenario in which I think James Robinson would be really good leverage off of all of Chicago. It still means I'm probably not going to have a ton of him because that doesn't seem awfully likely. But I do think it's an interesting way to play this game, given how much chalk there's going to be on one side of it specifically. I know the Bears have scored 30 plus points in three straight games, which is just <laughs> insane. But this does feel like the type of team that could be let down or that could let you down 
uh, and the Jaguars come in. What, Mitchell Trubisky let us down? No, Mitch has never done that. That doesn't sound like something he'd do. Of course not, of course. Right, so could this be one of those games? Sure, Kyle, sticking with you here just to get uh, a fresh take here on our third highest projected running back. And we're not going to go through everybody, but I think a lot of these guys are really fascinating. Austin Eckler's at 20%, right? We got him projected up there. Could reports or practice throughout the week, whatever, from, from Anthony Lynn change our opinions and, and, and alter this ownership a lot? Yes, of course. But do we have any concerns that, that Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are going to be used in a somewhat limited capacity as the season winds down? I think generally not, unless like they're all suffering pretty egregious injuries. I think it's more likely that they go out and if they're playing, for the most part, they play. Obviously, we didn't see that with like Keenan Allen, Mike Williams last week. But I do think that's also a product of like they probably didn't have hardly enough guys to play. So if these guys are able to get on the field, they will. But for the most part, like NFL coaches players hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They're all like, they're all jock meatheads. They're the guys who bullied me in high school. They are like, they think they're invincible and want to get out there and play. If they're playing, I think it is, unless we have reports otherwise, that they'll play in a limited capacity, which we actually, you know, we did have that on like Keenan Allen. Like they're going to go out and, and try their hardest and try and win these games. Austin Eckler is going to be pushing, like he's going to be pushing Anthony Lynn to get 20 touches in the game. So I think we should generally, unless we have news that, that, doesn't confirm this we should assume that players are going out and and trying their best and playing their full roles even when logically it doesn't make a ton of sense like the chargers have nothing to play for they're a young team who should really just be at this point hunkering down and avoiding injuries like anthony lynn is coaching for i assume his next job wherever he like his next coordinator job and you know players are trying to get these next contracts and stuff so unless Schefter, not Rappaport, unless Schefter comes out and says you know austin eckler will be limited and even then i probably didn't think about running into that fire I think we kind of have to project these guys as if it's a normal game in terms of the distributions. And Eckler did play 60% of snaps, 62% of snaps last week, Matt. So it's it's not to assume that he's played any fewer than he did in, in weeks prior, in four weeks since returning. So uh, I, I think Kyle's right. I'm not concerned about that. Your thoughts on him? And then, of course, the big one here, uh, Le'Veon Bell, 17% projected ownership. We're not going to have Clyde, Ed, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire this week. And it's coming up against the Atlanta Falcons, who are huge dogs on the road. Uh, and Kansas City has by far the highest total on the slate. Yeah, as far as Eckler, I think he's completely fine. And I would echo everything Kyle said about them. Probably trying to just play their starters. There's no reason for them not to. Anthony Lynn needs to kind of coach for his life right now. As far as Le'Veon Bell, he stands out as probably the top price adjusted running back play on the entire slate. We had a ton of interest in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at similar prices early in the year. And if we look back to those games, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ran pretty bad. For all the goal line work he received before Le'Veon Bell got into the picture, there were a lot of dud games for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And now moving forward to Le'Veon Bell, we can project that same role for Le'Veon. So if he runs a little bit better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did in the beginning of the season, you're just looking at a smash spot for a guy who's significantly underpriced. Yeah, I, I'll have a very difficult time getting away from this honestly and i don't know kyle just to get your take on a very important piece of the puzzle for week 16 Clyde edwards alaire still played almost 50 percent of snaps last week so when you look at Le'Veon bell and you see okay well he played 32 percent of snaps but he had 15 carries so you know that means we could probably project him for something like that well that would be ignoring the fact that clyde edwards alaire had 14 carries in that game so even, he was getting a ton of work before he got hurt. There's a legitimate opportunity that Le- Le'Veon Bell sees extensive workload in this game, and uh, I- I'm I'm willing to get there. I don't know about you, but this is a spot where if he's 17% at that price. I'm still willing to eat that semi-chalk. Yeah, the Chiefs game in general versus Atlanta just looks like the smash spot of all smash spots. So I think it's more, for me, it's a game where I think the ownership doesn't quite reach the levels that I'm scared off of it. I'm more attacking this game and trying to figure out ways to get unique, whether that be, maybe, like you said, the perfect example would be like a, a Tyreek Hill or a Sammy Watkins plus Le'Veon Bell as that unique sort of double double stack or, you know, stack without the quarterback. 
I think that at least is going to be my philosophy is that this is a game and a team, at least one team on the Chiefs and probably another team given their prices in the other side in Atlanta where they're almost too good to get away from. And I don't think the ownership, it's not like we're seeing 50% ownership on any of these guys. So yeah, I think Le'Veon Bell is just one piece of a game that I'm going to continue attacking and therefore, like, I'll probably be with, if not above the field on him. It kind of reminds me of what we saw from Tony Pollard last week. We had Ezekiel Elliott giving up some work to Tony Pollard, but there's no one, when Tony Pollard shifts into the Zeke role, there's no one to shift into the Tony Pollard role. So then Tony Pollard gets all of the work. Like, you could argue Daryl Williams picks up some of the Le'Veon Bell role, but he, he generally has been a player who doesn't see much work. So I think we could get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire plus in terms of volume with Le'Veon Bell, which is why I'm comfortable paying his low price and high ownership. Yeah, me too. He could fall into the goal into the end zone twice, just given how often this team's going to have scoring opportunities. That's all I care about. Um, I, I don't want to talk about McCaffrey yet because we haven't seen a practice yeah. report from today. I have no idea if he's going to play. That's something we'll hit on uh, throughout the week once we get more news. So let's talk about some pivots. I'll give you my top one first, Matt. And this is somebody who destroyed me, <laughs> destroyed me on Monday Night Football. Destroyed me on Thursday or on Sunday the week prior because I played a lot of them. And then this week because I had none of them. He goes by the name of Gio Bernard, uh, 1980s porn mustache Bernard, fumbled on the first carry against a, the best matchup you'll see in years. I mean, the Cowboys are lying 162 rushing yards per game, more yards per attempt than any team. And he completely let us down. Then you go up against the Steelers defense. I'd say it's a little bit more difficult. And he crushes two touchdowns, 25 carries. You can't make this shit up, fellas. But here we are, and I'm going back to the well. $4,800. Gio Bernard, he's really going to be 6 5%. He's less than 6% right now at $4,800 against a Houston team that has nothing to play for. Um, I, I, I'm going to have some. At 6% or 5% at 4800 Gio Bernard, assuming he doesn't fumble early on, uh, is worth a look to me at such a discounted price and ownership. Matt, who is your favorite pivot at running back right now, given what we have projected at ownership? Yeah, I'm really careful with these teams that have nothing to play for. The same team, the Cincinnati Bengals, had nothing to play for, and they come out and roll division rival Pittsburgh for no reason. All they did was hurt their draft capitals, and they ran Giovanni Bernard, even though they can cut him for 600K next year for 25 carries. So I, I'm very cautious with these. They have nothing to play for at this point. As far as pivots in the running back position, very interested in the Cleveland Browns runners going up against the Jets. That's just a very favorable position. And going back to J.K. Dobbins, I know they particularly don't have much to play for, but it's a solid matchup against the Giants. You know, the Giants have a decent run defense, but Dobbins with Mark Ingram scratched, handling a large workload there. Those are two pivots I like. What about you, Kyle? I'm surprised Daryl Henderson isn't drawing more ownership. Like he was pretty much operating as the lead back, not a hundred percent of the carries, but clearly outworking at least between the tackles, Malcolm Brown, when they didn't have cam Akers. cam Akers will not be playing this week. And he's only coming in. Like, I know it's 11% ownership, but that still puts him at looks like ballpark ninth or 10th. And he's 4,500. Like he should be, in my opinion, he should be close to the free square. Like we should be talking about him in that same range of Le'Veon Bell, where it's more of a question, not about price, but about ownership. Can you afford to pay that ownership for him? but he's not reaching that ownership level. So I think in a spot where we could see some scoring between the Rams and Seattle, like it makes sense to me that at his price, he's a good play. And I'm just kind of surprised that the ownership doesn't seem to reflect that in the slightest, really. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. He is what? 11% we got him at right now. Yeah. 11% about 11%. Uh, just a, a couple more here. If you guys have anything else before we move on the wide receiver, Kareem Hunt's at 2% uh, and Nick Chubb is at 8%. I like targeting the Jets in the passing game. Certainly didn't work out all that well last week. I guess it was fine if you had Woods and I think what Bobby Higby Trees got there. Yeah, Higby had a decent game. But yeah. usually the point is that they'll still pass even when they have the lead. But a team like Cleveland, if, if they're – listen, right now the, the Browns' ownership across the board is egregiously low everywhere. Yeah. And if that's the case, they'll probably be my highest owned team. I, I just like – the Jets are – Boys, by the way, and Matt, I agree with you to be careful about have nothing to play for. Um, the Houston, what I meant though is Houston can't play for a playoff spot, but they can't play for a draft pick either. They're just in like purgatory for the remainder of the year. So I forgot play. about that, dude. Oh, I forgot about Miami having all their picks. <laughs> it's crazy, but I, I'm gonna 
Kyle, I, I'm going to have a lot of interest in, in Cleveland if they're really all coming in at like two or five or six percent. To me, there's just too much value against a Jets team that is coming off riding high after that win, and now it's imperative that they lose every game to close out the season if they want to still be in that Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. It's an easy call to me. I just can't believe the ownership is so damn low everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's not like people are saying, oh, they've figured out the Jets that everyone just passes against the Jets. No, Jarvis Landry's ownership isn't high. Higgins is super low, too. It's so low. It's So I'm going to be completely on board with you. I don't get why last week Cam Akers was the chalkiest of the chalk. We had Robert Woods and Cooper Cup as like top 10 or 15 receivers. Are the Rams some wildly better offense than Cleveland? Right. No, honest to God, they're probably worse. Like And Chubb's they, like one of the most reliable running backs in the league when it comes to touches. No, absolutely. It, like we should always be targeting players against the Jets. And some weeks it's like, well, what does the ownership cost? What are the price costs? That doesn't seem to be the case this week. I don't think Jarvis Landry is a bad price. He's not going to be high owned. Nick Chubb, given the volume he's seen, his price is fine and not many people are going to be playing him. Even Kareem Hunt and Rashad Higgins are definitely my player pick. I will make a point to be over the field on those guys because it takes nothing. So I'm completely on board with you. I don't get why this is the one week where Cleveland has been a good offense, especially as of late, that we're not playing guys against the Jets. No, that should be an every week thing, especially when you're like a good offense like Cleveland is. Yeah, man. I have. I think I listed and my pivots because we do a run sheet i think i listed pivots uh like five cleveland <laughs> so this will be fun i have one more for you matt and then we'll talk wide receivers what about melvin gordon and the reason i asked this compare his production to philip Lindsay's over the past five weeks night and day philip Lindsay's averaging less than three yards per attempt since week 10 or week week nine i'm sorry melvin gordon has been markedly better Uh, He has that touchdown upside. He scored multiple touchdowns in two of his last five games. He's 5,600 against this former team, which, again, doesn't mean much to me. But the Chargers have not played well either. Does Melvin Gordon make for a viable pivot off of, say, a comparably priced Le'Veon Bell if throughout the week Bell's ownership goes up to 30% and Melvin Gordon's down around 6%? Because it's possible. Yeah, when you break it down like that, it's not something I really considered much. I think it's just mentally knowing that Melvin Gordon's in a timeshare with Philip Lindsay on one of the worst offenses in football. Sure. Well, yeah, but when you break it down like that and you look at the matchup against LA, the spread is tight, so it wouldn't be you know inconceivable for Denver to get up in this game. And the role is fairly consistent with Melvin, even when they're down in games. As far as just a direct pivot off Le'Veon Bell, when you break it down like that, I don't hate it at all. Yeah, it's not crazy. Could it no. backfire? Absolutely. But sometimes things don't backfire and they end up giving you uh, a serious edge in these tournaments. Let's talk wide receivers. Before we do, though, guys, uh, we still have a full week of NBA. The first week is still pretty much intact for NBA. We had the two games late yesterday. We have that banger tonight, 13 games. Then Christmas Day, you got five games. It's one of the best DFS days of the week uh, or of the year. And then all the way up through the 29th. You can get all of our NBA content for one single dollar. Consider it an investment, right? You're checking out everything we have to offer from ownership projections to player projections to the optimal lineup probabilities to the lineup builder to all of our amazing premium articles, the express uh, lineup feature or express features and everything else. The boom bust tool is another huge one. And all of these tools built by Alex Baker, number one ranked DFS player in the world for a reason. Dude's won millions playing NBA DFS using these exact tools. You get to check them out for a dollar for the next week. If you ask why we're doing it, it's simple because we know you're going to like it and we hope that you'd stick around and become part of that community. So use the promo code Caruso, C-A-R-U-S-O at checkout. Go to awesome.com slash join. And if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. All right, guys. Let's talk, uh, let's talk pass catchers, Kyle. Tyreek Hill, once again, highest ownership. Highest ownership on the slate, as a matter of fact, but just edging out Montgomery. He's around 23.4%. Montgomery at 23.2%. What are we doing with Tyreek at an egregiously high price point, but also a fantastic matchup against the Falcons? Yeah, I mean, I'd blame him if you can. He's really good. He gets a lot of targets. They're downfield. They're from Patrick Mahomes. Everything lines up. I, I would say if you're playing Tyreek Hill, maybe you should be focusing on like like getting a little different, especially if you can correlate it with, you know, Russell Gage on the other side. I would think 
just playing, quote, naked Tyreek Hill is probably something I won't be doing a ton of. I'd prefer to play him in a game that I think scores 60 plus points or whatever. So I think most of my Tyreek Hill is going to be correlated with someone in this game. Honestly, it could even be correlating with Le'Veon Bell and just saying the offense goes absolutely berserk. But I would like that's my only real take on Tyreek Hill. He's very good. His price is high. So you probably want this game to score a lot of points. Make your lineups in a way that conduces is conducive to them scoring a lot of points or at least is, is correlated with them scoring a lot of points. What about you, Matt? I like Tyreek Hill, and, you know, the ownership's not crazy on him. I see it at 23.4%. That's not even close to what we saw Devontae Adams. The role isn't quite as secure as Devontae Adams, so I think this makes sense, but we're still talking about best matchup of the week. I think you could take a stand on Tyreek Hill, go over the field. It's just tough with this Kansas City offense. It's very difficult to play Hill and Kelsey together, and I think Kelsey really stands out at a weak tight end position. So as usual, it's just tough decisions with Kansas City. I will be playing Tyreek Hill to what degree yet I haven't decided. Kyle, I got to tell you, basketball started interest in NFL wings a little bit, but I love doing this ownership show, man. There's something about it. I just love it. I love hanging out here with you guys every Wednesday. That's nice. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I like it. I think it's it's really interesting to not just talk about, like, you know, we spend the first two minutes of every position, like, oh, Tyreek Hill's a good play, but then, like, having you pitch me Giovanni Bernard in random weeks, I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Or Melvin Gordon for, like, uh, for Matt was a good one. He's like, oh, I haven't thought about that. That actually makes sense. Like, this, these are the things we're playing DFS for, we're not playing DFS. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus come out and say you should or shouldn't play Devonte adams like of course Devonte adams is a good play play him if you can it's about Finding these weird ones, it's about, you know, talking about the the correlations that people aren't playing. So I, I you know, I, I kind of like this show as well. I, I'd say I like it. I'd say I like it. Uh, well, the good thing about the midweek shows is we're learning stuff as we go on these shows. And we're hearing new ideas, which is always a good thing uh, with DFS. I'd say, Matt, the other high-owned guys right now, Allen Robinson, 22%. Disappointing last week, but when your team is mounting 30 plus points on their opponent weekly the best receiver is always going to be viable and then Amari Cooper I talked about him yesterday I was hoping that he'd come in uh low owned that's not the case the the Philadelphia Eagles have just coughed up some monster games to number one receivers the question is more or less if you want to consider Amari their number one receiver with Andy Dalton at the helm or not but I I I'm guess I don't think Gallup's going to play this week. He's got a hip injury. I know he avoided a serious injury, but I, I'm not sure he's going to play. We haven't projected in, so we'll pay attention to that. But if he ends up sitting, uh, then Amari's even even more favorable. But what do you think about Robinson and Amari up here? I think they're fine. Amari in particular, at that price, I thought he would gain some traction throughout the week, but it's really you know increased to a point where I didn't think we would see this much usage. As far as Amari Cooper versus, I, I guess you want to call maybe C.D. Lamb, the other player you could vie for number one targets. Amari's clearly played more than Lamb. His target share is north of Lamb's. So I still think he's the de facto number one wide receiver. The targets, I think, will be close, but you'll still get an edge with Amari Cooper right now. The Eagles, I mean, Darius Slay is banged up. Their secondary is a little weaker than what it's been previously this year. So everything makes sense for Amari Cooper to draw this ownership. I was just a little surprised like you to see it be third highest overall. Me too. There's no question at uh, 17%, just given the offensive struggles that he'd be up there. McLaurin's at 16%, Robbie Anderson at 15%. All of these guys relatively similarly priced, Kyle. Not crazy, but, you know, Cooper is 5700 McLaurin's 6700 So they're within $1,000 of, of each other. Robbie Anderson's price has fallen below DJ Moore to 5,500. The guy continues to get disrespected. What do you think here at the top of the position for guys not named Tyree Kill? Because he's clearly in a league of his own at this salary. I think it's interesting that we're getting uh, 
this discrepancy of ownership. Not that Robbie Anderson shouldn't be at this percentage, but like I think DJ Moore for 300 more. Like we've basically seen early in the season, Robbie Anderson was clearly the number one. It has shifted to a point where they're basically splitting that role. And in a $300 difference, like I think their projection should be very similar. Their prices should be very similar. That also means I think their ownership should be very similar. And that is not the case. That's the skeleton key here is that for CeeDee Lamb versus Amari Cooper, I actually agree with Matt, like CD Lamb's not really the number one receiver, but in any given week, we've seen a pretty volatile target share between him, Gallup, and Amari Cooper. I'm probably going to be doing a lot of pivoting down to the receiver that nobody wants to play on a team that has one receiver that seemingly everyone wants to play, and everyone quoting up 10, 15% ownership. But I'll just take the lower owned guy, especially in a DJ Moore versus Robbie Anderson, where in any given week, I think they should be almost identical projections at this point, given the ownership or given the like the target share and air yard share discrepancies between the two. I'm just going to take the lower own guy because I don't think we should have a strong lean either way, but the field does seem to have a modestly strong lean. Yep, absolutely. Um, Slay's out of concussion protocol as well. We just got an update like 20 minutes ago. So that's, you know, I guess makes somewhat of a difference, but I guess if you ask Devontae Adams, Matt, if you ask DK Metcalf, they'd say, eh, okay, doesn't mean a thing. No, and you know, with these wide receiver cornerback matchups, they're important tiebreakers, but I still think when it comes down to it, we want volume more than anything else. And it does suit up for Amari Cooper to see some significant volume. So that doesn't really concern me too much either. All right. Um, I'll stick with you, Matt, for a second. The, there's no real insane ownership outside of those guys at wide receiver. Ten games slate, it's still enough to mix things up a little bit. But one guy that stands out to me, it's someone I actually kind of liked, uh, yesterday, not having any ownership was Jamison Crowder. And normally, Jamison Crowder was was a bit overpriced. So I would just say, all right, give me Brashad Perriman. Give me Denzel Mims at 3,500, at 38, 3,300. I can live with that. But, excuse me, Jamison Crowder has seen his price come down to 4,500. Now, he was 4,400 last week in a pretty awful matchup. Went for 13 DraftKings points on eight targets. Uh, this one against Cleveland... My thing is here, there's, there's, you're right. The cornerback matchups, whatever. Denzel Ward, sure. But Jamison Crowder is still uh, the top target on this team. And I think 4,500 against Cleveland, especially given how much Cleveland I intend on having this week, is someone that, that I will get to. But I wish he was a little bit um, overlooked where he's kind of not. People are apparently going to recognize this $4,500 salary. I actually think this price is fine for him. I always question the overall upside given his presence in the Jets offense. Like how many touchdowns are they going to score overall? And that's really a concern when Jamison Crowder is like 6K at 4,500. I think this is probably appropriate for his touchdown equity. So I'm with you. He's the preferred run back in your Cleveland stacks. It's just the ownership might get crazy on him. And if it does, then I would be more willing to look at some of the other pass catchers that are a little cheaper. The ones we've previously been looking at, even though they're not quite as enticing, I think you'll gain a little more leverage with them, even though Crowder is the number one. So this is honestly going to come down to ownership for me with the Jets. I don't like playing them overall, but in such a great game environment where the runbacks are viable, I'll be looking to the lower own plays. Right now, Crowder at 14%, I'm still willing to eat some of that. Kyle, you and I talked a little bit earlier about the the Browns at low ownership, whether it's Chubb and Hunt at running back or uh, wide receiver, where Rashard Higgins is projected for 2%. Jarvis Landry at 7%. Those are low numbers for me. I, I get it. Landry's price has come up. But ever since they got out of that month of playing in terrible weather, Landry's been good. Are there any other pivots you really like here? Because I discovered a few that are absurdly low owned right now, at least in our projections. <sighs> We're doing it again, aren't we? Sammy Watkins at 5K. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> only one. That's only one mention so far. Uh, actually, that's not true. I mentioned him once earlier. We we have a uh, we have a. Uh, I, I almost laughed when I said it because uh, if you're behind the scenes, we have a over under line set at Sammy Watkins mentions because Matt and I just can't quit this guy, and I, it, it might take two more seasons before we find the next big Sammy Watkins game. But I'm just going to come on here and tell you every week that he's running around since returning in, I believe, week 12, running around on nearly 80 percent of Patrick Mahomes dropbacks. He's seeing over five targets per game. He's a cheap attachment to the best offense in the league. Of course, if you've watched this show almost any other week this season, you don't need me to tell you that. It's just week one of each year I'm seeing. His biggest game this year was week one. Uh, his biggest game last year, 198-3. and three. 
Do you know how many touchdowns Sammy Watkins had last year? Anyone want to guess? Four. Three. No, he didn't score again. No. Uh. He went, Matt, he went every game without a touchdown after that three-touchdown game. In week, uh, the year before that, he had 238 and two in week one. No, I'm just kidding. Now, wouldn't that be something? If it was just like every year, play Sammy Watkins week one and write him off for the rest of the season. I don't know, dude. I, I'll let you speak on him because I know you're obsessed as well. Huh. You're right. I, I guess you could call it obsessed. I keep playing the guy. And, it, you know, it's not because he has these. He's just these a masochist. I, really, for real. I was doing this with Marquez Valdez-Scanling earlier in the year, too, when Sammy Watkins was hurt. And this is kind of like a type for me. But Sammy Watkins, Kyle said it all. It's just the cheap attachment to Patrick Mahomes. If you're looking for leverage spots off Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, who both project to be highly owned in the same offense, I mean, amazing implied team total, amazing chance of being the top stack on the week, and you want to gain some leverage within the offense, Sammy Watkins sets up as the perfect play. I, I, I want to disagree so badly with you guys. I want to, but I can't because he's the only guy that has a somewhat respectable target share on this team that is priced reasonably. You know, it's it's either that or like me, Cole Hardman, who he's at what? He had nine targets last week. You know, people are going to go to him at 3,100. I, I don't know, Matt. They have, maybe they won't. I, I don't know if they should because that is pretty extreme outlier game. He did have nine targets in week, uh, week eight against the Jets. When it comes to someone like him or Robinson, you're just praying to the football gods that you get that one rogue game where Hardman not only gets the targets, but actually catches those passes because on his nine targets, he only had three for 22. He did find the end zone, but could have been a much more disappointing game. I mean, Hardman still ran fewer routes than Demarcus Robinson. And it wasn't even that that close. Like Demarcus Robinson's route rate was 57%. Hardman's was 46 so if people try to buy into this small sample, me call Hardman nine target game, all the more to him. I'll be playing Sammy Watkins, whose route rate was at 81 and a half percent, whereas the other two are just splitting time. We call Hardman right now about 7.5% projected ownership. Watkins around six. Marcus Robinson at 0.5, which is where he should be. I don't know. <laughs> Kyle, it just feels like we need to, we're going to need to get Kansas City right this week in some form or fashion. Yeah, and the answer is playing Sammy Watkins. I don't know that, but I agree with everything Matt said specifically about the non-Watkins players. Like, Meikle Hardman, despite seeing nine targets, is just a role player. Like, his ownership should be, I don't know, marginally ahead of Demarcus Robinson. Arguably, by the route run, it shouldn't even be ahead of Demarcus Robinson. And it's just shocking to me that, like, I don't know, maybe it's the it's, – to me, it's people buying into a small sample. I just can't – and it's not even buying into a small sample. It's also missing some of the signal. Like, we should – like being on the field and running routes is very important. That's arguably how you get a lot of targets for most players. So it's both small sample and then missing some important data. If you're playing McCall Hardman, I'm not saying he can't go out and score. I'm saying, I think it's a bad bet at 7% ownership. I'd rather bet on Sammy Watkins at lower ownership. Fair enough. Um, DN Quinn and Williams is now on the IR and done for the year one of the Jets' better defensive players. So things just keep getting worse for them and better for me and my low-owned Browns. Uh, just taking a look at a couple of other lesser-owned pivots. If you guys have anything, feel free to throw them out there. Cooper Cup right now, Matt, 3%. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm a masochist too. Maybe I enjoy torture. But he's facing the Seattle Seahawks who, you know, on paper, on the surface, you say, man, the Seahawks have really shored up this defense. But then you have to at least contextualize this a bit and say, well, they faced Dwayne Haskins and the, and the Washington. They faced Sam Darnold and the Jets. They faced, I don't know if it was Daniel Jones or if it was um, Colt McCoy and the Giants. And they faced Carson Wentz and the Eagles over the last four games. Do I even need to say anything more? No, absolutely not. And I okay, mean, good. <laughs> the, the Rams had like a historically bad performance. Anytime you lose to the Jets, I mean, I'm not going to buy that. I think you could reasonably expect a bounce back game in some fashion. Jared Goff played terribly against one of the league's worst pass defenses. He only completed 22 of 34 attempts, just north of 200 yards. That stemmed down to all of his pass catchers. None of them really stood out for having a good game. Goff is someone who will throw the ball a lot voluminously when they're trailing in games. This game against Seattle, I think, has sneaky shootout potential. We know Seattle can score points, and their defense, historically, at least earlier this year, has been giving up production 
at a historic rate. So I think buying back these LA pass catchers are a pretty sharp move. Cup, Woods, none of them are really carrying any sort of ownership. So I'm willing to stack this game. Love it. You got anything else at wide receiver, Kyle? Uh, Deontay Johnson, double-digit target machine. I will always be playing him at low ownership. And Russell Gage, like he seems like sort of the Sammy Watkins of the other side where he's going to be on the field. He's going to be getting targets. I believe he saw 10 targets and scored last week. And the, no one seems to want to play him. It's just the ancillary pieces. And like they're hardly ancillary. Matt said 80% route rate. That is almost every down. It's four out of five downs. Russell Gage, 10 targets last week. I, I call them, quote, ancillary, but they're really just the second and third receivers in the game that is the game of all games this week. It's clearly the one we should be targeting, given that, you know, you can find cheap ownership spots. Russell Gage, I think, is the perfect example. You think Julio sits? I think so. <laughs> like they talk, he's like, well, I want to get back on the field. That is like, that's what Kenny Galladay has been saying for five weeks is that right. he wants to get back on the field. Not that he's practicing this week. So it, that is though the caveat that Julio Jones would probably have to sit. I'd probably also be a maskist and play some Julio Jones if he returns. Cause it's the game of all games. And I know people are going to have it stuck in their head that he's going out and getting injured in the first quarter. And he probably is, but on the off chance that, that doesn't happen, you're going to get him at 5% or something. No doubt. And he is really lobbying to play. He's also about $2,000 less expensive than Calvin Ridley. I'm not going to argue that. Kyle, staying with you at tight ends. Oh, by the way, check our giveaway out at awesomeo underscore com. $400 value, awesomeo plus NBA pass. Follow the directions. It's very simple. It'll take you two seconds. And if you wanted to get a full annual calendar year of our NBA content, all of it, uh, $400 value, just go to at awesomeo underscore com. And by the way, while you're at it, if you're going to play NBA or if you do play NFL DFS, it's great to be on Twitter to be able to get notifications and updates uh, So when you're not always around to do a show. Like I turn notifications on for a select few people. But while you're at it, follow us at Kyle Tweets here, at Matt underscore Gajeski and at Lafay underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Um, okay, tight ends, Travis Kelsey. Once again, Kyle pulling away in ownership, 22%. There's no one within 10% of that. Him, Kel, uh, Hill, and Mahomes are all the highest-priced players at their respective positions, and none of us are surprised by that at all. What is crazy, though, is that the next closest-priced tight end is almost $3,000 cheaper on Week 16. Yeah, it creates a really interesting dynamic. And I think maybe this is why I'm gravitating towards Le'Veon Bell and Sammy Watkins is because if you want to play the Chiefs, you are pigeonholing yourself. Like it's kind of difficult to stack a, a Travis Kelsey, Matt Ryan, and Calvin Ridley. So if you want to play the Chiefs side of things, it's difficult to do really much of anything with the rest of your roster in the stack that I just built. Whereas when you go to a Sammy Watkins or a Le'Veon Bell, like you can afford to make other plays. It's not to say that I won't have Travis Kelsey this week. I, I will probably end up being over the field because I, you know, I like this game so much and I'm playing so much Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley stacks, but I do think there are ways to get away from him, even in stacking that game. That being said, it's obvious he's the best play at tight end. I don't think his price like is even that bad. He's the number one slash one B for Patrick Mahomes. You just have to think of him as a you know, wide receiver. So I don't think his price is bad given what he does on the best offense. His ownership also is fine. I, I think it's perfectly fine. It's just really interesting the pricing dynamic that it creates if you, say, fade him or at least in an individual lineup if you're not playing him. Matt, do you think Travis Kelsey needs to be a top option this week? Is that ownership justified with – salary considered it's so hard to get away from kelsey there's just so few options that could rival him i again similar to last week i think if you fade kelsey your hope is not that you know kelsey doesn't have a good game i think you just hope for a modest game the the low games aren't really in travis kelsey's range of outcomes at this point but if he goes off and catches four for 60 and a touchdown i think you'd be happy with that and then as far as a cheaper price adjusted play maybe that's how you take down a tournament without travis kelsey what do you think, Matt, about some of these other guys that are pulling decent ownership but nothing crazy, which is why, you know, if you watch this show with us every week, we don't spend a ton of time on tight ends because it's just so scattered. But Dallas Goddard's about 12%, Cole Komet at 12 Ertz at 9 Logan Thomas at 8 I'll be honest, outside of – I think Komet's fine. I'm not really that enthusiastic about him. But I, I do think that, that Goddard and Ertz are the cheapest you're going to get them uh, and I also think that Logan Thomas has just played such great football late in the season, no matter who's throwing it to him, that uh, that he's going to be in play for me, even at 4,900. Uh, but again, at 4,900, 
it's tough because I'm usually trying to punt at tight end if I'm not paying a uh, premium. Yeah, that's the same with me. I agree with you 100%. I'm kind of confused by some of this ownership at the top. The player I'm not confused by is Dallas Goddard. I think he's finally earning some of the respect he deserves. And it's mostly coming from volume. He's had a voluminous role in this Philadelphia offense since he returned. He has at least six targets in six straight games. At the tight end position, that's very good. Cole Komet is starting to work his way ahead of Jimmy Graham here. They still are rotating a little bit. If you just look at the routes last week, Cole Komet, 77%, Jimmy Graham, 38%. So that's still a little bit concerning to me. I wouldn't be surprised if this shifted the other way. So paying for Komet in that spot, I just think there's other players at similar prices with lower ownership I'd be willing to take a stand on. Dalton Schultz, not a great quarterback situation, but should play a similar role to Komet, much lower ownership. Anyone down, you know, like Jordan Akins is someone people don't like after that touchdown hit him in the shoulder, but he's someone that also plays a similar role, lower ownership there. So I'm just not sure I'm willing to eat the third highest owned Cole Komet at tight end. Hey, Kyle, I got someone for you. His name is Austin Hooper. Yep. I I had him queued up if you weren't going to mention him. He's $3,500, 1%. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, it was like I it was like week I don't know somewhere in the middle of the season where he was like forty seven or forty two hundred and was eleven percent. I don't want to play Austin Hooper there. No. Like I get there are downside risks. He's overpriced given that they do a little bit of like extra tight ends in the lineup and maybe he doesn't draw that you know end zone target or whatever at this price and and most importantly honestly at this ownership in the matchup of all matchups it's egregious. Like it'd be one thing if he was up at you know forty seven hundred. I would see why you would be saying. He's a six-target at most guy on a run-first offense. To me, he is in the spot of all spots. He's cheap. He's low-owned. There's, it's you know, every Browns player I think is just poorly owned relative to the whole team's upside. Yeah, it has to come up throughout the week, right? Like it has to. No? I would think so, but I think people are going to still look at someone like Cole Komet because the savings he gives you, or the higher target floor of Dallas Goddard. I still think yes, I, I do think it comes up, but. Uh, it's probably, I, I can almost predict now that it's not going to come up to a point where I'm not going well over the field. Right. Okay. That's, that's a fair point. Yeah. Cause even if, even if Hooper comes up to like five or 6%, it's yeah. still fine. If T or if uh, Richard Higgins comes up to 8%, 7%, I'm still okay with that. And that leads us to stacks. We close the show up with this every week. Thanks to you guys for hanging with us. And thanks to Jordan Klein producing the show. Got a snazzy new haircut going. That nice fade looking good. Look at that. Look at that, man. Is that a skin fade you got going on? Yeah, it is. You're in business, fella. You got to look good behind the screen. Uh, and by the way, check out Adam Scherer's deep dive article. It used to be behind the paywall. It was it was, a, it was a premium piece because it's insanely comprehensive. I promise you it's the best matchup breakdown and player breakdown in NBA that you're going to find. It is free now at awesomeo.com. Check that out. It comes out every afternoon because it takes so damn long to write. I promise you'll love it. If you're not reading it, you're doing yourself a disservice. The NFL rankings are also free this or today as well, so check them out. Um, okay, Kyle, I'll start with you. I will give you some information and let you run with it. The top stack probability this week is insane. And I actually even asked Alex about it. He's like, I might need to go back and look at that, but I think it's right. Top stack probability in our top stack tool at Osmo, it's a fantastic tool used in conjunction with ownership and projections. 38%. It's saying that Kansas City has a 38% likelihood of being the top stack on this slate. Monster total. Atlanta's at 10%. Chicago's at 7 Houston's at 6 Those are your top four, and then it falls off a bit. Your highest owned quarterbacks, which, of course, is, is usually means highest owned stacks. Kansas City, Houston, Philly probably doesn't mean highest owned stack. And Chicago, what are we doing here with this Chiefs team? I'm going to probably end up being over the field on them because I think it's the game of the week. It's got a 54 total. I don't think anything on the main slate is particularly close. And the reason their top stack probability is so high is because they have a 32 and a quarter implied team total. That is four points ahead of the next best team, which is the Browns, which is another stack that I think is really interesting. And on top of that, the next one is Baltimore. And then you finally get down to almost five points below at Chicago the former of those two teams are very run heavy teams. So you might not even be able to bank on, you know, the quarterback of either Cleveland or Baltimore going off. Whereas the chiefs, obviously we can bank every week that they're going to be one of the more pass heavy teams, you know, until the final minutes of the game when they've already killed their opponents. So I think the top stack probability roughly makes sense. Like it's very clear that this is a slate that what we like 
don't even have Aaron Rodgers on this slate. There are enough games taken off of it that it's for me fine to eat the ownership punch that you take by playing a Mahomes Tyreek Hill stack and getting unique elsewhere. Maybe run that back with a Russell Gage or whatever. I will probably end up being over the field on Kansas City as I am most weeks. And Matt, a lot of people will look at Kansas City and go, oh man, highest projected stack ownership, right? 17% from home. What they will ignore is the fact that their top stack probability is still more than two times the projected ownership. So yes, they're going to be popular, but they're still um, given this tool, right? Uh, According to this tool, they're still under-owned by a significant margin. And sometimes we see that. Sometimes it's not, okay, these players are really high-owned. I need to fade them. Like Kyle mentioned, sometimes it's they're really high-owned, but yes, they're still not high enough owned. There's easy examples of this, like Taysom Hill, the tight end week. And then there's not-so-easy examples like this week where KC, it's a relatively normal week, except this game has a 53-and-a-half total. The next highest game is Philadelphia and Dallas at 49-and-a-half. That's a very drastic difference. You can parlay that over into team totals overall, which Kyle already did, so I won't belabor that point. But ultimately, I agree with you both. I think this is a situation where Kansas City is still under-owned, even though they're already projected to be a highly-owned team. Matt, you don't need to know what my low-owned stack of the week is. I've said it a bunch. It's the Cleveland Browns. They're projected for uh, only 4% ownership. Top stack probability, not that high. And I think a lot of that is just because they're generally a low-passing volume offense. But I could see a very, very efficient game here from the Browns. It also means I like their running backs. Uh, I don't want to be pairing Chubb with Baker Mayfield. I think that, that that hurts you. But could I have a Chubb Landry or a Chubb Higgins lineup without Baker Mayfield? I think so. I'm going to try and get creative. Who is your favorite lower owned stack this week, if you have any? I hinted at it earlier. I like the LA Rams Seattle game. We have an explosive offense in Seattle. They can rack up points on anyone and they can do it quickly with their receiving options. On the other side, the Rams are a team that are very they're very sensitive to game script. So when they're down in games, they'll throw the ball a lot. We've seen this numerous times this year. Jared Goff's actually been above 30 pass attempts in all but two games. And the previous time they faced Seattle, I believe he threw 37 times, which is just a ton of volume for the Rams pass catchers who aren't exactly expensive and they're lower owned too. I think you could honestly run it up on either side if you wanted to do a Seattle stack and then run it back with the Rams player. Vice versa, you could run a Goff stack and run it back with the Seattle player. I honestly like both sides of that. I love that. I love that game as well. What about you, Kyle? Close us out. Your favorite low-owned stack of the week. Yeah, everyone knows that we should be targeting the KC Atlanta game, but everyone is going to gravitate towards playing the Kansas City side of it. Whereas Atlanta, like Matt Ryan is fine. He throws the ball a lot. He throws deep a lot. I believe he leads the league in overall deep pass attempts. Like those are all things that lead to explosive, like we saw last week, nearly 30-point games. I don't get why people are only targeting the Kansas City side. I get why they're targeting that side. But there's an awesome, you know, fantasy team, at least really not an awesome NFL team, but an awesome fantasy team on the other side, just waiting to be stacked. You're right. Matt Ryan is $5,800. Ben yesterday called it the there's a micro tier. And he's right, because between 5,700 and 6,100, all of these guys in in succession, one, two, three, four, you have Trubisky against Jacksonville, Ryan at 58 against Kansas City, Goff against Seattle at 59, and Baker Mayfield against the Jets at 61. If you're going away from the top tier, that little micro range uh, is where you'd probably want to live in. And uh, I'll say this much, Kyle. The top stack tool has Atlanta with the second highest top stack probability at 10%. And their ownership right now, at least Matt Ryan ownership, is sixth or seventh at 4.6. So Um, You're spot on. You're going to have to pay for Ridley. There's no doubt about it. He's $8,500 now. But Russell Gage, assuming Julio's out, is cheap. Julio, if he plays, is pretty inexpensive, not going to get ownership. Uh, And then Hayden Hurst is $3,400 as well. There's ways to do it. I think all of those make for uh, great pivots this week. And you know what, Matt? It makes for a pretty fun week when I'm looking at ownership. And all three of us have a stack that we didn't have to – you know, unearth all of these stats for we didn't have to go crazy to find it. It was just kind of right there. Yeah, it's nice when there's weeks like that. And I think the positive part about the under owned stacks is you're getting so much leverage off Kansas City. If Kansas City just happens to bust for whatever reason, or even say like 
maybe it's Le'Veon Bell who gets three touchdowns and the stacks bust. And it maybe people play like Tyreek Hill naked and Travis Kelsey naked and Patrick Mahomes by himself. You busted all those lineups individually. And now you have a low on stack. Maybe you could still eat some Le'Veon Bell ownership and you're looking pretty good on the, in the overall context of the slate. For sure. And it suggests to me, Kyle, as we close this one out, that some of these ownership projections are going to come up throughout the week. Maybe not a ton, but these seem like these spots are too good to be true at, at this ownership right now. Some of them will come up, but I, I, all of them can't come up or else someone has to go down. So I do think there will be uh, like Richard Higgins is a good example. I, I think he's kind of too deep off the radar for his ownership to come up, whereas Jarvis Landry may actually does, you know, end up coming up. Same with, I don't know if you want to get weird and like a Josh Reynolds. These are the guys who I think generally don't end up coming up. So even if we get higher ownership on the Browns, I still think there will be good spots on on that team. The same thing with, you know, if Seattle comes up or something like that. Guys, we appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday morning, now early afternoon. Remember, stick around for everything coming up throughout the day. Seriously, it is a one-stop shop for DFS content here. You've got Kyle coming up with Terry McBride, Saturday Strategy Show. Who else is doing a Saturday Strategy Show on Wednesday? Getting you ready for literally everything. NBA Deeper Dive, Adam Sher and myself, followed by the Live Before Lock Show right after that on a combined stream with Chris Spaggs and Greg Ehrenberg. And tomorrow, doing a little bit of an awesome happy hour strategy show. I'm probably going to be drinking at 11 a.m. in the morning and just getting it, getting it popping real early, talking football, sports, drinking, having fun with all of the crew here at Awesome Hopefully you'll join us. See you back here soon. Remember, hit that thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so yet. Help us get to 50K. And use that Caruso promo code, $1, for everything we have NBA on the site through the next week. Use it now. Don't miss out. It's probably the best promo we've ever done. Peace.